Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 27th of May. Today on The Briefing, the environmental cost of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin network uses 114 terawatt hours of electricity. And to put this into perspective, that's just under 50% as much electricity as Australia. Did you hear that? Nearly half as much electricity as Australia. That has got Jan Fran's interest. I don't even know what terawatt hours are. That was the word that got me. (laughs) (laughs) How much power are we using? Does that surprise you? Nearly half as much power as this country? More more than the Netherlands. So we're going to find out why it uses so much power, how it actually works. Um, We'll actually explain Bitcoin mining, what that means, or try to at least. It's pretty complicated. And whether this environmental question is really what's driving the massive price drops in Bitcoin prices. So that's the briefing in just a moment. First, here are the big news stories of today. Well, we're starting in Victoria, where the state is once again facing the threat of another lockdown as six new cases emerged yesterday, and that takes the current cluster to 15. If everyone who has symptoms goes forward and gets tested, if everyone uh, who has been at any of the exposure sites follows uh, the public health advice, then we can get on top of this. That's the acting Victorian Premier James Molino speaking yesterday. Uh, the Victorian Cabinet met last night to consider a lockdown and sources have told the nine newspapers, where Annika Smethurst works, <laughs> um, that a single mystery case could trigger tougher restrictions. So far, all of the cases are linked to the Whittlesey cluster. Yeah, now the federal government's also stepped in to help the state and it says it'll provide an extra 13,000 AstraZeneca vaccines uh, because vaccine rates in Melbourne have actually swollen, I guess, in the wake of these new cases. Yes, and the acting Premier there is really encouraging all Victorians, not just to get tested, but to get vaccinated as well. Yeah, it's interesting to see the the different responses to this outbreak. It does seem like we're evolving in the way we deal with these. The state borders are being dealt with differently. You know, in the past, I think Melbourne would have gone to a lockdown by now, but they're not. Yeah, well, the state's reaction I would probably describe as bespoke. That's more enough. nuanced? Yeah, slightly more nuanced. So um, each state is sort of doing its own thing in relation to Melbourne. If you're from South Australia, they've shut the border to Greater Melbourne. That's a hard border closure. Um, New South Wales says that those that have been exposed in Tier 1 exposure sites can't come to New South Wales. Other states have declared the area of Whittlesey a high risk. Basically, the onus is on you to kind of keep up to date with what's happening because this situation is just changing so quickly. So hop onto your state's website and um, and try and work out what their uh, reactions to the Victoria Cluster are. Or just have nothing to do with the place. That, you know what? That's the easier option, isn't it? <laughs> Christine Holgate has welcomed a Senate committee's verdict that Prime Minister Scott Morrison should apologise to her. Well, I haven't heard from the Prime Minister yet, but um, I'd welcome an apology And I I think it's a really important thing that sometimes when things go wrong, if we apologise, people can heal and move on. Wow, she does sound like she would really like the apology to actually be able to move on with her life a little bit. Um, That was, of course, the former Australia Post CEO there speaking with ABC 7.30. She's not going away, is she? Doesn't look like it. No. (laughs) Now, the chair of the Senate committee um, was Greens MP Sarah Hanson-Young. Here's what she had to say. The purchase of the watches was clearly unwise. But the Prime Minister's lack of calm and clarity, his hot-headedness in relation to this, 
was over the top and disproportionate. The Senate committee also said the Australia Post chairman, Lucio Di Bartolomeu, should resign over the sacking. Yeah, and a spokesperson, though, for the PM said that the government had, quote-unquote, no intention of responding to a politicised report um, from a committee that they see as being controlled by Labor and the Greens. Yeah, they had some um, MPs on the committee as well, but they haven't agreed with the, the conclusions of the committee that called for the PM to apologise. So there is a political division amongst that committee. And forensic experts say they may never know how the foot of former businesswoman Melissa Caddick was severed before being found on a New South Wales beach. Police have completed a post-mortem on the foot, but pathologists may not be able to determine how it was removed. Yes, yeah, so the foot is the only uh, remains of Miss Caddick who was last seen in November last year after federal police raided her home in an investigation into her finance company. Financial regulators are still trying to secure access to as many of Melissa Caddick's assets as possible to repay the 68 victims who were scanned out of $25 million by the former financial planner. And a Dutch court has ruled that oil giant Shell is to reduce its emissions in a big win for environmental activists. The court ruled the company must cut its CO2 emissions by 45% compared to 2019 levels by 2030 and align its policies with the Paris Climate Accords. Yeah, so this case was brought to the court by an environmental activist group called Friends of the Earth. Um, There were six other bodies that were involved in the lawsuit as well alongside them, as well as 17,000 independent Dutch citizens. Well, that's a big lawsuit, isn't it? It Uh, is. (laughs) So Shell say they're already investing billions of dollars in low-carbon energy, including electric vehicle charging, hydrogen renewables and biofuels, and that they're going to appeal the decision. Yeah, it's. I think it's it's important to note that this decision is actually only legally binding in the Netherlands, but it does have massive implications for other uh, fossil fuel companies around the world. In fact, there is around 1,800 lawsuits related to climate change being fought in courtrooms right around the world. It does seem like a new area of tackling climate change. Yeah, I mean, it's been happening for a while, but the scale of it and I guess the importance of that as part of an activist strategy, you know, it's it's not just protesting on the streets anymore. There are complex, well-thought-out legal strategies playing out in courts around the world. And the US President Joe Biden has told his intelligence agencies to redouble investigations into whether COVID originated from human contact with an infected animal or whether it escaped from a Chinese lab. Yeah, so the theory that the virus escaped from a lab in Wuhan was initially dismissed as a conspiracy theory, but it's gaining more mainstream traction. Yeah, a director of um, the US Centre for Disease Control last week told the US Senate that the lab leak theory was certainly one possibility. Yeah, so Biden wants this checked out more thoroughly and the report will come back in 90 days, so people will be watching that. Um Another, I guess, piece of evidence that sort of lends itself to this theory having more credibility was a report from the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. Um, It cited a US intelligence report that revealed three researchers at this lab fell sick with COVID symptoms as far back as November 2019. Mm, I'm, I'm not surprised that the US wants answers around COVID. I mean, they've been hugely affected by the virus. 33 million Americans have caught COVID. Almost 600,000 people have died. Well, everyone was hoping that that WHO investigation was going to reveal something that we didn't already know, and it, it didn't. didn't. And it didn't seem like they got the access a lot of people hoped they would. Yeah, well, let's 
see if the Americans do. Catch you tomorrow, Jan. Annika's about to join you as we explain the Bitcoin environmental question. Buy some secret stuff? Bitcoin. 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 Did anyone read that article about Bitcoin I sent you? A global phenomenon that's making some investors millions. The price of the cryptocurrency falling about 25% in the past week. So what sparked the sell-off? The environmental concerns around Bitcoin in particular. So as you can hear, there's been some wild news in the Bitcoin space. And Annika, as someone who has watched that massive price surge since about February from the sidelines, not having any money involved. It's been crazy to watch it. And I think if you'd asked me in February what might sort of bring this big bull market to an end, I wouldn't have said the environment. Yeah, but it looks like that might be the case for some of the price drops we've seen over the last fortnight. It peaked at $63,000 US in mid-April. Since then, it's dropped as low as $31,000 and it's been bouncing around the 30 since then. So massively unpredictable at the moment. Yeah, it's been crazy to watch. Um, a lot of the other big cryptocurrencies have seen similar drops and fluctuations. One of the biggest events that coincided with that price fall was Elon Musk announcing two weeks ago that Tesla would no longer accept Bitcoin's as a transaction currency for their cars because of the environmental cost of Bitcoin mining. Yeah, you might be surprised to learn that the amount of energy that goes into Bitcoin mining, that's getting new Bitcoins, is half as much as Australia's total energy use. That's wild, isn't it? A country of 25 million people, it's using half as much energy as us. Yeah, so in this briefing, we're going to try and explain what is Bitcoin mining and why it's so energy intensive and just how bad is it for the environment? So we'll be doing that with the uh, help of Dr. Sean Foley. He's an Associate Professor of Finance at Macquarie University. Sean, thanks for joining us. Can you start by explaining what Bitcoin mining is? Yeah, totally. So unlike mining for gold, where we sort of start digging in the ground and as the price goes up, we effectively just dig deeper into the ground, Bitcoin mining is a little different. So there's computers effectively around the world that are custom built for this purpose. And they take the transactions that people submit to the network, very similar to how you might submit a visa transaction to to buy a coffee. And what these computers do is they uh, try to solve a cryptographic puzzle. And this cryptographic puzzle is designed to be difficult, kind of like guess and checking uh, if you're doing long division. And so they're looking for a specific answer. And the first machine to find that specific answer uh, can very easily prove it to the rest of the network. And they then mine new Bitcoins. So at the start of the network in 2009, this would be 50 Bitcoins, which is obviously uh, worth quite a lot today. Uh, And it halves every four or five years. So when we talk about mining, we usually talk about a resource, whether it's gold or coal or whatever we're trying to dig up, essentially. What's the resource, I guess, in this scenario? Is it simply computers running on power? (laughs) Effectively. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins in existence. That's something that's specified in the protocol itself. We've mined about 18 million of them. And so as I described, every time you solve one of these blocks, the miner receives a set of new Bitcoins, as well as these transaction fees that are submitted voluntarily by people who want to have their transactions included on the Bitcoin network. And 
what will happen eventually by about the year 2100 is that the mining fees as they continue to halve will eventually hit zero. There will only ever be these 21 million of them. And, and that is really at the heart of the environmental cost because the higher the price, the more people compete or the more machines compete to try to solve the next block to get the next set of Bitcoins. And so I guess, unlike gold, if the price of gold goes up, we start digging sort of further and further into the ground uh, and, or, you know, explore the moon, explore under the ocean, wherever we can find more gold, we go and we expand the supply. Whereas that's just simply not the case with Bitcoin. You just increase the competitive pressure, but the amount of new Bitcoin stays exactly the same. So that's Sean Foley. Giving us an explanation of what Bitcoin mining is, I think I understand a bit more about what it is from that, Annika, but I'll never properly understand it. I think I understand it when I hear it, and then about five minutes later, I'm confused again. But look, I do feel a little bit more confident after hearing that. We think we understand Bitcoin mining. Let's move on to the environmental question. Sean, who's doing the mining? Where are they and how much energy is it using? There's a lot of miner or mining pools that are operated out of China, in Mongolia, there's some in Iceland, there's some in the US. And so this is one of the really big problems with Bitcoin mining particularly, is that a lot of it is run on coal. So I've got a colleague, he has a, a number of Bitcoin miners, and I asked him, okay, so well, how are they operated? What, what power are they utilizing? And he said, oh, well, they're in China, they're next to a hydroelectric dam. I thought, oh, gee, that's great. He said, in the wet season, because uh, they've got so much water that's being produced in, in Yunnan and, and Sichuan province, uh, that the, the hydroelectric dams just creating power that can't be exported and can't be used. I thought, gee, that, that sounds fantastic. He said, then the dry season comes and we every six months we move the, the Bitcoin mining machines next to a, a coal-fired power plant. You think, okay, that's not as good anymore. <laughs> so given there's a finite number of Bitcoins, doesn't that mean... I guess there's a, a cap or a limit on the environmental impact that can take effect because of this? Not necessarily. So the fact that there's a finite number actually incentivizes, I, I like to think of it as Bitcoin miners sort of suck, uh, sticking a straw into the earth and just sucking as much energy out of it as they can. So as it's going to halve and halve again, there's incentives to try to collect as many Bitcoins as we can as quickly as we can. And what this means is running ever more machines uh, to try to solve those cryptographic puzzles more quickly than, than others. So how much power is Bitcoin mining using in total? And is it any worse than any other cryptocurrencies? Is it worse than other stocks, other companies that we trade in or, or other types of mining? The Bitcoin network uses a phenomenal amount of electricity. So currently the Bitcoin network uses 114 terawatt hours of electricity. And to put this into perspective, that's just under 50% as much electricity as Australia. So they're using more than Netherlands uh, in terms of annual electricity consumption. Australia uses 241 and Bitcoin uses 114. So you could say half as much electricity as Australia. If we think about other uh, services, people like Google are using less than 10% of this. And is there any incentive for people to look at ways to reduce the environmental impact? Who's regulating it and who's saying, let's do something about it? The Bitcoin network is unregulated. So there are efforts currently underway from different countries to effectively ban Bitcoin. So Inner Mongolia has 
had a, an impact on their actual electricity network, similar to what we might have experienced in South Australia, having rolling blackouts and things like that, driven by the sheer demand of consumption of their coal-fired power uh, by Bitcoin miners. So it's a very difficult thing to regulate globally. And what we're seeing is that one of the really important components of the cost for Bitcoin miners, uh, apart from the equipment that they need to purchase and recover a, a sort of profit on, is the electricity that they use to run their machines. So obviously, if they can use cheap power, that's the ideal for them. And so you are seeing some efforts, for example, in Iceland for people to use geothermal power. So obviously, renewable energy is the cheapest source of power. And so we do have a lot of hydroelectric dams that where they put uh, crypto miners next to. But the issue is the unreliability of that power. Let's think about solar, you know, using at night coal-fired power from New South Wales or Victoria is not a great solution, even if you're consuming solar power that would otherwise be wasted during the day. It's difficult to make clean effectively because it is this arms race of how much power can you consume to actually generate the new Bitcoins or to, to capture the new Bitcoins. Sean, Elon Musk clearly plays a very interesting role here, especially when you get this massive price drop of the last two weeks coincides with his announcement that Tesla will no longer accept Bitcoin as a payment currency. Is that the main reason we've seen the fall? And what do you make of his idea of setting up this Bitcoin mining council to try and address these issues? Yeah, look, I think that that's a really great way to address what is a decentralized problem. So if you can get the miners together and have them commit to not using, you know, dirty, cheap coal power and having the ability to effectively export power via Bitcoin, I think that's a fantastic way to try to address this problem. Elon has his own uh, agenda and he's been pumping uh, Dogecoin for quite some time. And I think he had a go at pumping Bitcoin and, and quite succeeded saying that Tesla would accept Bitcoin as payments and then, um, you know, swiftly turning around and saying, oh, but actually the power consumption is is too high. And I think that one of the reasons he's done that is, is partly to bring attention to this issue, but also to try to pump alternative currencies who may be moving to proof of stake or, you know, things like Ethereum where they're, they're not using as much power to operate their network and in what is quite a similar network. So was it him making that call about Tesla not accepting the currency because of the environmental reasons? Is that the reason we've seen this price fluctuation of the last two weeks? China came out and said because of these environmental issues, as well as their concern about uh, how the Bitcoin network is used, you know, if people use it for buying illicit substances online or whatever, that they were going to make further attempts to, to ban uh, the mining and utilization of cryptocurrencies in China. When Bitcoin hit prices that we've, we've never seen before and is starting to become, uh, in terms of its total market capitalization, bigger than companies like Apple and Facebook. And I think that that really is difficult to continue to sustain those high prices. And, you know, it's really difficult to value a Bitcoin. It's not like a company that has dividends and cash flows and balance sheets that you can assess. It's, it's really just whatever someone will pay for it. Given what you're saying about China and, of course, the environmental impacts, is it still a wise investment? And how much will the environmental concerns continue to negatively affect the price? 
people are starting to care a lot more, particularly millennials, about um, the environment itself. As people gain an awareness of how this network operates, how much power this network consumes, I think people are starting to get concerned. I think there's always a segment of uh, society who are indifferent about the uh, environmental impacts of their investments and they, they focus more on, on profits than, than the environment. But I think as more and more people care about the environment and, and as these technological solutions, as I've mentioned, in things like Ethereum start to come to the fore, I think they'll start to effectively replace uh, Bitcoins. I wouldn't suggest anyone <laughs> gets in, involved in Bitcoin, but I think that other solutions that use proof of stake, such as Ethereum, are, are great investments. Ah, there we go. We finally got there. The investment advice that no one really wants to give, given the, <laughs> the crazy um, turbulence in, in all of these markets. Sean, um, you've done a great job of explaining that clearly. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. That was Dr. Sean Foley, an Associate Professor of Finance at Macquarie University. Interesting what he was saying, Annika, that Bitcoin might have big problems going forward, but some of the other currencies like Ethereum have technology that's not as energy intensive and might be better investments. Yeah, it also sounds like the environmental concerns, while important to some, might not be the only reason for the price fluctuation and perhaps there's a few more cynical reasons why it's rising and dropping so fast. All right, well, speaking of mining, uh, tomorrow we're talking about the real thing, coal mining, and why coal mining electorates are so important politically in Australia. Listener.